And we are live, everyone, for a new episode of the Electric Podcast. I am Fred Lambert, your host. And not as usual, this time I'm not joined by Seth Wintraub. Seth is on vacation, so it's going to be a special episode of just me talking to you guys. Sorry about that. I forgot to mute myself, so it's a good start, good start. Um, yeah, you're going to have to bear with me for a minute because uh, this is my first time using, normally Seth is used a stream yard and uh, manage the... Um, production part of the episode so that's going to be me at the same time as trying to move the uh, show forward so we're going to have a couple of news items that we're going to discuss as usual but uh, with not the back and forth between me and Seth we're going to have plenty of times to uh, take your questions or um, if you guys have any subjects you want us to discuss you just put them in the comment section right now should be able to see them and uh, and we can make it a little bit more of a of an interactive episode I'll, I'll remind you of that as uh uh, a little bit later on in the show, as there's going to be more people uh, tuning in, tuning in, because uh, we're live everywhere. But it takes a bit for everyone to to get on board. So let's just uh, jump in with the news. Uh, I said I think we've been doing this show for like at least four years, I want to say, and I can't remember the last time that set was not on the show. Uh, I don't think I ever missed an episode in four years. I think set my may have missed one or something like that. But the, the guys in the world deserve a vacation right now. All right, uh, let's start with this. Uh, the magic dock is still alive. So uh, we reported earlier this year, we Tesla started to deploy the magic dock as some supercharger station. For those who don't know, the magic dock is this. Uh, it's basically a NAX to CCS adapter uh, for um, for people that have non-Tesla electric vehicles to use supercharger stations. Um, and the adapter itself, while it's called a magic dock, is because it replaced the receptacle for the connector at the charging station. So, so this right here on the, on the screen. And um, when it's not in use, the supercharger is used normally for Tesla owners uh, with the NACs, with the connector directly. But through the app, non-Tesla owners can unlock it. And when they remove the chargers, it comes with, part of the magic dock of the receiver of the connector and it becomes a, a CCS connector basically. And the weird thing is that Tesla started deploying it earlier, very early in this year, a dozen station in New York and a few stations in California. And they officially announced it in February. But uh, so we, about a dozen stations, like I said. Uh, so we expected that Tesla would continue to deploy it at more station over time. But then nothing happened until now so there was like a good six seven months of uh of no deployment we assumed that it had something to do with uh, uh some automakers adopting nax as, as their official standards um starting a few months ago so we thought maybe there's going to be a shift in the strategy because tesla told these automakers that they would supply them with an adapter themselves for the their existing ev owners to use a supercharger network so that would remove the need for the magic duck but um, there's that isn't coming until 2024. Uh, some people were saying, like, um, some automakers mentioned first half of 2024. Some mentioned, like, Q2, something like that. So it leaves a decent amount of time that Tesla... And, and also, there's there's value to that even when that happens. For those that don't buy the uh, adapter, they can still use the network through that. So we weren't sure why Tesla stopped the deployment. But they restarted this week with this first station in... Uh, Fort Worth, Texas. Um, Tesla was even spotted uh, renting a Ford F-150 Lightning to test out the, the Magic Duck as the station. Uh, when we uh, reported on this earlier this week, the station was not officially put uh, in the on the Tesla map. You have you can check supercharger station or supercharger station open to non-Tesla EVs, and it didn't show up yet on this. But I think it, it has now. I received an email about that from someone. So. By the way, I have my emails as easily available. If you want anyone's has tips to send out, uh, uh, always welcome them. So yeah, Magic Doc is still alive. Uh, we're gonna keep track of see if there's any more deployment. Um, I would assume so. Maybe there was a supply chain issue. Uh, it's not. It's not clear. The next gen Model Three, aka the Highland Model Three. Well, looks like it's about to happen. Finally, we have a few signs now that points to. Well, we, we've been talking about Q3 for a while now. Now we are 
almost midway to Q3, so it's starting to make sense too. But beyond that, there's a few other indication. So obviously the biggest one came at the earnings report when Elon said that there's going to be factory shutdowns throughout the quarter. Um, he didn't say why, but he said it was for um, factory upgrades. But again, didn't say why uh, they needed to upgrade the factory. We assume that at least partly going to be related to the new Model 3 um, coming into production. Now, what we saw is that in Europe, uh, Tesla pushed back the delivery timeline windows for new Model 3 orders. If you're, there's still inventory available and everything, but if you place a new order for the Model 3, they pushed all back into Q4, which is not normal for this time of the quarter. Normally, at this time of the quarter, Tesla allows like late September deliveries at the very least, uh, trying to deliver as many cars as possible within the, the quarter for financial reasons. Now they pushed everything to at least October, and even for the Model 3 performance, they pushed it all the way to uh, up to January of 2024, so up to next year. So this is very abnormal for the quarter. Obviously, you, you would think potentially that they're doing that because of uh, factory shutdown. They anticipate that the availability is going to be lower, and they're going to introduce a new version of the Model 3 and transfer those orders, those new orders placed now to the new version of the Model 3. On top of that, there's rumors right now in China that Gigafactory Shanghai is doing the switch uh, as soon as next week or in the next two weeks to the production of uh, the new Model 3. Uh, and that makes also sense because obviously the uh, most of the European market is getting their Model 3 from, from Gigafactory Shanghai in China now. Um, and we reported last week that in North America, uh, which gets their Model 3s from Gigaf- not Gigafactory, but the Fremont Factory, I guess we could call it Gigafactory Fremont. It's uh, produced at least gigawatt hours worth of uh, electric vehicle production. But in a way, uh, we reported that it was very shortly uh, shut down. So we're going to see about that. Um, but I checked the delivery windows for the Model 3 in North America or in, in the US, I should say, and check in, in Canada, actually. And um, it, it's not nothing like in Europe. So there might be a slight delay. We've noticed since Gigafactory Shanghai has been online that Tesla tend to uh, introduce changes sooner in um, in China than it does in the U.S. But now that obviously everything is connected, like when we report on all those changes, so whenever the Model 3 comes out in China with the new island design and whatever update's going to be with that, obviously the hardware for um, potentially the new battery pack from uh, or the new battery cells from CATL. Uh, there's it's going to put some pressure, obviously, to launch it in the U.S. because people are going to be... Um, but at the same time, it's relatively small updates, so it might not affect sales that much in terms of uh, people wanting the new version versus the uh, old one or the current one, I should say, for now. Um, all right, the acquisition of... I don't know how you pronounce that. Uh, Wiferian, I guess. Wiferian. Uh, it's a it's a Germany based wireless charging startup that um, there was uh, rumors, but not really rumors. They were Tesla showed their intention to buy the company earlier this year. It has now been made official, according to uh, several reports coming out of Germany, uh, based on official document from the company that uh, they have approved. Shareholders have approved the sell to Tesla. So interesting step. For those who don't remember, when we first reported on on this a few months ago. Uh, Wifergen is mostly known for producing charging, inductive charging, wireless charging for industrial robots, so robots that travel around in factories. Uh, those robots are for the most part autonomous. So if they're autonomous, you would want them to charging to be autonomous too, obviously. And you can make some parallels to that to potentially Tesla's use of wireless charging is going to be related to that too, if they can ever get to full self-driving uh, to work. But... Um, so that is the main part of the business, but they also are developing system for electric vehicle charging, consumer electric vehicles or commercial electric vehicles, not just uh, industrial robots. And that wouldn't make more sense. You would have told me that like a year ago. I was like, mm, that weird for Tesla to buy that. But more recently, we reported earlier this year on the investor day when Tesla unveiled this image that I'm showing right now. I guess I could show a bigger version of it like that. Um, where they tease what clearly appears to be a wireless charging station uh, with a wireless charging pad underneath the, the Tesla right there. 
uh, looks to be a Model S. So that was a big surprise. It was kind of unusual for Tesla to tease a product like that. Normally, that's not that's not how Tesla teases a product, especially with it wasn't even Elon Musk teasing it. It was another Tesla executive. Uh, so I would because of that, I would assume that Tesla is working on that seriously and probably is going to be released or at least announced officially soon. And this acquisition of Wafarian most likely aims to accelerate that that that. Uh, wireless charging program for Tesla because now they have a company that already has deployed 8,000 chargers. So it's already a company that is in the revenue phase, in the deployment phase, even though they've been around for only since 2016. And uh, in terms of the cost of the acquisition, so Tesla is not known for big acquisition beyond, uh, obviously, SolarCity was a big one. They mostly do smaller acquisition. And this one is uh, reportedly in the I want to. Uh, I think it's in the mid, uh, high double-digit uh, millions. So between fifty and a hundred million dollars is probably what uh, we're looking at here in uh, in terms of this acquisition. So fairly cheap for a company that has twenty-three billion dollars in the pocket, but um, probably good value if you want to accelerate a, a program like uh, a wireless charging one. A quick update on uh, what we discussed a lot last week was the kind of uh, the the Tesla range being exposed in that Reuters report. Quick recap, Reuters showed that uh, um, things that we knew about already about Tesla using a little bit more optimistic multiplier to get a a longer EPA range, but also some new information about Tesla potentially having a program that showed you a more optimistic range when your battery was full and waited until your battery is at 50% uh, state of charge and below to give you a more precise range in order to avoid you being stranded, which is not unlike, like, there's other reason to explain that. And Tesla used to justify it by saying that uh, the, the car would learn about your trip and optimize it and give you a more precise rating. But in the report, they claim to have sources and, and, and uh, even saying that Elon especially requested this, the CEO Elon Musk, um, to, to make it so that it, it's purely for advertising purposes, like to show you a high range and then they make you the, long, the shorter range. But that, that was the claim in, in the report. Anyway, the update this week is that the report has already resulted in a class action lawsuit with three customers in California filing for it. So as you know, when these things like that happen, normally uh, the lawyers are quick to uh, put a case together uh, and get paid. <laughs> but so in this case, um, I'm not exactly sure what's going to turn out out of this because, like I said, even though I agree that there's things that Tesla does with its range and the EP range that I, I would prefer it wouldn't do, it seems everything is legal technically. Like it, it, Tesla is allowed to use the most optimistic multiplier as possible. Uh, should it do it? I mean, I don't know. Uh, per- pers- personally, I always said that the the best thing to reduce range anxiety is precise range prediction. Because if it, it tells you exactly how much range you're going to get where you go, then you, you, you're not really worried about losing range unless you don't know where you're going and you have to take detours or whatnot. That's uh, a possibility. But other than that, that's better than long range, in my opinion, or excessively long range. Like, over 300 miles, in my opinion, for the most part, unless a very few occasion, there could be a value to that. Um, but the vast majority of people don't use vehicles like that, don't use cars, at least not on a non-commercial purpose. So we'll see what they can do with that. If they can prove the, the thing about like faking the range for the first 50% state of charge, maybe there's a, a case there. But for the EPA stuff, I mean, you kind of have to sue the EPA, really. Um, all right, we have a few more news items I want to discuss, and then we're going to have plenty of times that we want to get into the comments. Like I said, it's just me this week. Seth is on vacation for the people that are just tuning in right now. I see more people are flowing in at the moment. So we're going to have plenty of time to make it more a little bit more of an interactive episode. So if you guys have any questions for me uh, regarding the news that we discussed this week or any kind of new uh, of other AV topics uh, you want us to discuss, you can put it in the comment section right now and we can get to it in just a few minutes. Um, you can be 
any questions related to the EV world, I don't mind. And if you are someone that do enjoy the Electric Podcast, I mean, the Electric Podcast is on fire right now. Last week, we uh, topped the top five of the um, most uh, listened to automotive podcasts in the U.S. So uh, we are in great company against like big brands and all that. So it's really cool that you guys are are tuning in and listening to us. So we appreciate it. If you do want to help the show, it's free to do. It takes a second. You can just put a like right now on whatever apps you're doing. Put a comment. that also help. If you're listening right now on your podcast app, you can um, give us a five-star rating with a comment. We read all of them. We appreciate them. And that helps the show a lot in the ratings of those like Apple podcast uh, charts and all that. All right. Uh, this uh, just came out today. This uh, video from uh, what do they call the um, North American Council for Freight Efficiency. So they've been running this uh, run on less uh, kind of a study, I guess. Very interesting study is where they tracked a bunch of different electric trucks, uh, battery electric trucks, and uh, the the test of capacity for their potential in in commercial use. And it's it's very interesting program. Long term, they have a, a new. They, they did a batch like a two years ago uh, that you can go see their data on their website. Interesting, but they have a new one ongoing right now. And the Tesla Semi is part of it, along with a bunch of other trucks from Lion Electric, BYD. Uh, uh, I think Nikola might be in there. I'm not so sure. And uh, it's not it's not live just yet, but they are uh, starting to 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 gather the data on it, and they're gonna have a very interesting report on that. But in the meantime, what they did is they released a very interesting video um, from um, uh, PepsiCo about their Sacramento uh, depot, they call it, and uh, it's a facility, the distribution center, where they use a bunch of electric vehicles, and uh, especially 21 Tesla Semi. And the, the video focused pretty much uh, solely on the Tesla Semi here. Uh, but they gave you very interesting real-world use cases for the Tesla Semi truck. So uh, it's very interesting. They say that the vast majority of the 21 trucks are used for uh, somewhat local deliveries. They call it like within the 100 miles. So these these trucks, they, these 100 miles, they can go for like 12 hours because like, they'll haul the stops and charging and, and uh, not char- not charging the, the truck, but uh, the unloading and uh, unloading the uh, uh, the materials. So the vast majority of the trucks do that, and that's trucks that we're running on diesel right now and obviously an electric truck 100 miles there's no problem at all and um the even if it's over a period of 12 hours it's not a problem for the tesla semi which has 250 to 500 miles range depending on the model so the vast majority of the, the tesla semis do that and then they have three tesla semis that they use for uh long haul what they call long haul is um according, according to uh, I'm going to mess up his name. Uh, we're very interesting. Uh, what he was talking about, this guy, Dijon Otonovic. Sorry about missing up your name. Uh, he said that uh, it's about 250 to 450 miles of range. That's what the, they only have three trucks that do that. And they, they, are, they say they're very satisfied with the performance on that. Uh, had some interesting data points on it. So the Tesla to support that because obviously 500 miles of range, if you do 450, also depending on your load, depending on the elevation. Uh, once you arrive at your destination, you're going to need to charge and, and go back. So Tesla has been deploying um, 750 kilowatt mega chargers at PepsiCo facilities to support that. And they say they can charge a truck to 80% capacity in less than 45 minutes. So it's pretty good. But they were particularly impressed by um, Tesla's uh, regenerative braking capacity on the semi-truck, which is obviously like if you, if you drive an EV, you probably use regenerative braking um, and enjoy it, I hope. I certainly do. And the heavier your electric vehicle is, the more useful the regenerative braking is going to be if it's uh, implemented efficiently, which apparently it is with the semi-truck. Uh, the um, Mr. Antonovic, the head of electrification at PepsiCo, specifically mentioned that at one point they uh, went on their way down on the Donner Pass, which is between Sacramento and, uh, and Nevada, and uh, because that depot is in Sacramento. And they say that on the way back from, from the, the North Pass, or the way down of it, they did the whole thing energy neutral, meaning that the truck didn't spend, well, anything that it spent on term of energy, it recuperated right back when it needed to break throughout the pass, which is a quite long pass. I don't remember how many miles, but it's pretty long. So it's pretty impressive they can do that, like with your 
your diesel truck, I mean, every kind of little hot pill you're going to do, you're going to have to, uh, you have to burn a lot of diesel and then you're just going to have to smack on your brake and uh, use it, use the, uh, your hydraulic brakes like crazy. Uh, another interesting thing that he mentioned is that uh, Tesla, the Tesla Semi is achieving now an efficiency of 1.7 kilowatt hour per mile. Uh, so originally when Tesla first announced that Tesla Semi, they were talking about less than 2 kilowatt hour per mile, which was already impressive. When they unveiled the production version last year, they did say 1.7 kilowatt hour per mile. And the way that he phrased it there, he said that in, over the last few months, they've been achieving 1.7 kilowatt hour per mile. So it looks like the efficiency has been improving, so maybe there's been some updates. Uh, I, don't, I don't know for sure, but he specifically mentioned that it's over the last few months that they've been averaging that. Maybe it's they, they are learning how to more efficiently learn the truck, use the truck too, so that, that can be cool. And 1.7 kilowatt hour per mile, you have a potential for some deep savings here. I mean, I looked at even the most, like looking at the most efficient possible diesel truck uh, when you can get the best like diesel prices. And even then, so you, you compare like the best case scenario for, for a diesel truck, um, you're going to get about 30 cents uh, per per mile. And at 14 cents per kilowatt hour, which is the off-peak rate in Sacramento, and that's that's the great thing about the battery electric trucks is when they're not in use overnight, you just you charge them and you get the cheaper rate. Uh, you get basically a 23% reduction in fuel costs. So that's just your fuel costs before like any likely uh, maintenance savings. And like twenty, you tell a fleet manager that, that manage like hundreds, if not thousands, of trucks, and you can tell them that like, oh, you update your fleet, and you're gonna get a twenty three percent fuel cost saving. Again, against the most efficient diesel trucks, like on an average, I would think thirty cents is is in the very low range. It can easily be forty cents. Uh, that would be an even greater uh, fuel cost reduction. But over hundreds of trucks, like that's millions of dollars per year of fuel cost saving. Again, before any maintenance savings and also they add in the video i really suggest you watch the video but they add like a bunch of drivers too that um commented on their experience with the tesla semis and they were all very happy about it specifically mentioned the fact that you're so close to the front of the uh, of the the tractor that uh, you, you get such a such a great view it's a different experience different trucking experience which is pretty cool so i really, I really think that this these these battery electric trucks are, are, are the future of trucking and the I just I hope that they come in a high volume soon. Like I know Nikola has delivered a few, but obviously there have been some problems with those lately. Uh, there's the Freightliner that has a few, but it's extremely low volume. Volvo is starting to deliver more volume. BYD too, but BYD is, is a shorter range. It's not long haul trucking. So this, this the Sasamaya, I think, is my biggest hope for uh, electrifying a large volume of the trucking industry, which represents a big part of emissions. Uh, in North America. All right, um, moving on from Tesla news, uh, we had an update on the pricing on the Chevy Blazer as the, as um, GM is starting deliveries of its new Altium-based uh, electric SUV. And as you would expect, the pricing has been updated up since the original uh, release. Um, that has been something that we're used to over the last year in the EV industry. So a lot of vehicles that were announced last year or the year before that, a little bit more optimistic pricing goals. And with inflation, everything, everything is being adjusted as uh, the vehicle actually comes to market. To market, excuse me. So in terms of the Blazer, now, uh, so there's going to be cheaper versions in the future, apparently, but for now, GM updated the price on the version that are coming this year. They're going to be available right now and on until the end of the year. And for the 2LT all-wheel drive, it's now $56,715, uh, which this is a 270 miles APE version. And uh, that's up from uh, from 45. No, that's a 1LT. From 47,500. So it's, it's, it's about $8,000. Uh, the RS all-wheel drive uh, is now sixty thousand. Uh, that's about a four thousand dollars increase in price. And then you have uh, the RSW uh, uh, rear-wheel drive, uh, which gives you the longest uh, range at three hundred and twenty miles, um, and gonna gonna cost you more than the. Uh, so you, you pay more for the range than you pay with uh, for the all-wheel drive here, because uh, the rear-wheel drive version starts at 
about $62,000. I've been seeing, so these are obviously U.S. prices. I know that we are also popular in in Canada. And uh, apparently the Canadian prices are not too crazy because normally you see a big jump with the Canadian dollars being significantly lower than the American one. Um, But, and also sometimes there's other pricing that come into play. But apparently the price are not too crazy. However, they're still high enough that uh, you don't get all the incentives depending on the, which uh, which province you're you're from. But it's worth looking into if you're in the market for uh, an electric SUV. So, like the Chevy Blazer, it's a good looking truck, SUV, whatever you want to call it. All right, the big thing that happened yesterday, last night, was the Fisker. Uh, Fisker's Vision product something. What did they call it? Um, Fisker Product Vision Day 2023 was basically it was basically a day of uh, unveiling a bunch of different vehicle concepts. There uh, it was kind of all over the place. Uh, our, our own uh, Jimmy Dow was um, uh, was at the event, and uh, I, I I wrote this article because uh, to help him out because it was so many so many vehicles being unveiled. Uh, we we had to uh, be multiple people multiple people to cover the event. So the first vehicle that they unveiled was this Ronin that they actually teased earlier this year with a few images. So it's not completely new, but this is an actual concept vehicle that we saw. It was uh, not a working one. Like it, the two other vehicles that they unveiled were, were actually, they, they drove them on stage. Um, but uh, Fisker was very protective of all the concepts that were unveiled there. Like the at the end, they let people that were at the event come see them, but they told them to stay like 10 feet away from, from the vehicle so you can, couldn't get too close. Um, but the first one they unveiled is this Ronin, which is a, a GT uh, four-door convertible. So that's cool. Uh, not a lot of convertible in the EV world right now, so we always welcome one. But this is a convertible, obviously, in like the supercar um, segment. So it's not a cheap convertible or an acceptable convertible, let's say. Um, when I saw it, I saw right, I remember right away uh, the Fisker Emotion. So Fisker... For those who are not familiar with Fisker, startup started by Enric Fisker. We started another startup of the same name, well, his name, obviously, um, back in uh, 2012. I want to see the Fisker, Fisker Karma came out around this time, maybe 2013, something like that. And that went bankrupt, was brought, was bought by a Chinese company, was re marketed as the Karma Automotive, but that also didn't work out. But Fisker was not even involved with that anymore. Uh, he, Got his name uh, as brand his brand back, I guess, and relaunched a new EV startup. But if you remember, the early days of the new year startup in 2017, 2018 was kind of a mess. It was kind of all over the place. They kept unveiling a bunch of different concept vehicles, just rendering and all that. And the first, I think it was the first one, was the Emotion. It was a, a butterfly door-looking supercar like this Ronin here. And it was supposed to have a, a solid state battery that was going to break all the record. But then they, they ended up getting uh, realizing that they were getting screwed by the company that uh, uh, was going to do the batteries and they ended up suing the company. It was a, it was a whole mess. Uh, but they ended up putting the whole thing on the back burner anyway to focus on the ocean, which is now uh, in production and the deliveries have started. But even though they just started deliveries, so they, I think they delivered like 66 cars like quarter. I think they just they just announced. Uh, they are already looking into the future. And that was that was what this uh, whole day was about. It's looking in the future. And they are um they unveiled the first one on was the Ronin. They didn't say anything about the pricing, but obviously uh, being a supercar, uh, you would expect that it's gonna be quite expensive. Um thinking low to mid uh, six figures, honestly. Fisker called it the world's first four-door electric convertible. But again, the, the, the rear door are like very small rear door, like in apparently the double butterfly doors. So we'll see about that. Um, but the, he claims that it's a five-seater. So that's that's impressive. But again, we they didn't release any pictures of the interior and the interior was completely backed out. So we, we didn't see them at the event either. So it's not, it's not clear uh, what that five-seater looks like. Um, what else did they, they didn't, didn't go into too much details in terms of, uh, specs. They said zero to 60 miles per hour in two seconds, about two seconds. They said thousand horsepower. So this, this, 
Like we're talking, like I, I compare it obviously to the Tesla Roadster. Like it's, it looks to be in a very similar segment as the Roadster, um, about same specs and, and obviously 600 miles of range, which is also what the Roadster is supposed to have. So they claim they claim 600 miles of range that the that's the main figure that uh, Fisker focused on, and uh, it, it was kind of funny because you, you would note throughout the whole event, it you. Fisker, uh, it's so confusing. We said uh, Henrik, and we'll call it Henrik. For tried very hard not to mention Tesla, but he was he kept referencing it without actually mentioning it. Was 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 which was interesting. And this was the the most interesting one mentioned, but or reference I should say, because he specifically didn't mention it. Where in order to he, he was talking about how Fisker plans to achieve the 600 miles range on the Ronin, and, and he said there is already some integrated battery pack out there, and of course we know about those. But we have actually looked at something different. So obviously, when you see integrated battery pack here, you you think of the Tesla structural battery pack with the 4680 cells being part of the structure of the vehicle chassis here. Uh, so we think, okay, like he's talking about that, but okay, apparently Fisker has a different twist on it. But no, he continue. We're looking to integrate the cells into the structure of the body that will give us our goal of getting to 600 miles of charge. So he's basically talking about the same thing, the structural battery pack that Tesla is doing. Uh, sounds like, yeah, and at least it didn't make the difference clear here if there is one. Uh, but again, this was looks like a non-working prototype that they unveiled. So it looks like they're quite early in the production and in the development process. So I don't, I don't think this is uh, very advanced. He probably doesn't know either how uh, the structural battery pack is going to work. And uh, I doubt that they have an active uh, design on that working design. Uh, and they have sometimes because he talked about towards the end of 2025. Though he said that on stage for the Ronin towards the end of 2025, and then uh, apparently, according to Jamie, talked to the, the the press people there, and they they kind of walked that back a little bit. It's not clear. And again, didn't didn't talk about pricing. Design looking good, as uh, as usual with Fisker. That's definitely his strength or the company's strength or whatever. But it was not the only one to be unveiled there. Right after unveiling the Ronin, they unveiled the Pair, which has been the vehicle they've been talking about for a long time. Supposed to be the higher volume vehicle than the um, Ocean. It's like a, it's a small compact car. It's like a, a SUV shape but very compact form. Like it's a very small car, even though it fits uh, five people. And the price is what uh, is, is what is attractive, like under thirty five thousand, thirty thousand dollars, so twenty nine thousand nine hundred before tax credit. So it can easily go to uh, twenty thousand dollars after tax credit and local incentive, which is available in many different states in the U.S. So very very cheap uh, vehicle here. And uh, and Fisker claims it's going to be able to bring it to market very quickly. Um, some cool designs here, like you can see the back gate here. Um, also a front trunk, which again another reference to Tesla, without actually mentioning Tesla. The, it looks like they don't want to use the term "frunk," which was kind of we believe was invented by Tesla, or at least like popularized by Tesla. And now most people that most automakers that do have a front trunk mentioned frunk but they are calling a fruit a front boot uh i don't think that's gonna stick <laughs> but uh nice try Fisker. and what else uh, did they release any spec on this thing i do like that like the design it's, it's, it's like a little compact ocean it's pretty good uh, yeah the, the interior was very bare though it's like uh, and obviously felt a little bit cheap but uh, it's a cheap car, so uh, Jamie was there, and he, he mentioned it gave off some Honda Element vibe. I don't think that's a compliment, but uh, no specs in there. No specs in term of uh, timeline. It's coming in twenty twenty five, so they still have a little bit about two years to 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 deliver this. But obviously, I'm staying a bit skeptical on this, and uh, I think it's healthy to stay skeptical about about Fisker in general, just because it just started um, with the ocean, which that they grabbed a lot of headline with the ocean, and they did it by claiming it's going to be a thirty-five thousand dollar car later, get it up to thirty-seven thousand dollars, whatever. But that was like the big selling point. And right now, they're only delivering the seventy thousand dollar version, and they're not making any money on this app, like. A, 5% gross margin, and that's 
putting aside a lot of other things and the other expenses on the operational front. So they're losing a lot of money right now selling a 70,000 version of it. So I really want to see that they would need to turn that around in the next two years and get down to the $37,000 version profitably before they can bring that pair to market. I know they say that the cost is being brought down with the pair with the new platform and everything like that. But uh, I mean, obviously Fisker's force is, is, is design. It's not necessarily like the engineering part of it, even though they have great people that work there and everything. I'm not saying that, but I really want them to deliver on that $35,000, $37,000 uh, ocean before I'm going to take seriously the pair. Also terrible name, the pair. What the, what the hell? <laughs> I don't want to, I want to be mean about it, but I don't know. Uh, we've talked about that. I mean, I know it's an acronym for for, for systems, like an affordable electric vehicle, whatever. But it's uh, I think it could be better. And then they got on the uh, electric pickup truck trend. Uh, you kind of have to have an electric pickup truck if you want to be a serious electric vehicle company these days. And uh, the Alaska is the Fisker electric pickup truck, starting at a base price of forty five thousand dollars. So. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later, about the, the old pricing thing, like it just did with a pair. But uh, there's a few cool thing about it, like the the the, uh, the bed here. You can see here can extend to over seven feet, so that's uh, that's impressive. But it's obviously with this gate open, but the gate is apparently solid enough that you can like secure it and have plenty of space. Otherwise, it's a 4.5 foot uh, bed, so it's obviously a small on the smaller side in terms of pickup truck. Uh, the range would be. 230 and 340 depending on the on the battery size that you choose um what else what else what else it wasn't that much spec being on the like again it was this one was a rolling prototype like it actually worked but uh uh they, they seemed to have some issues at first when it first came on, on on stage so again i think those are really early prototypes and the specs and pricing could definitely change by the time they reach to production. Uh, on stage, in terms of timing for the Alaska, he said, he, he said, uh, oh, my team said 2025, but I told them I want a truck in production in 2024. So we'll see if his team deliver on that. Uh, I, the uh, the design didn't fit well for me. Like in the front hand here, like I think there's, it, lo- it looks like they're really like sticking to the design cues that the ocean has and try to make it in the pickup truck, which sometimes work. But on the front hand here, I, I don't, I don't know about it. I don't think, I don't think it worked on, on the side. It don't look bad, but uh, the front end could need some uh, refining, which probably going to happen by that time. But yeah, um, I'm going to, we're going to jump into the comment section right now. So if you guys have any questions, any subjects you want us to discuss, I'm going to have uh, I'm going to have a good 20, 30 minutes to, to go into them. So I'm going to jump in it. And I don't know exactly how the comments things work, but I'm going to, because normally that sets that leads that, but uh, I'm going to give it a shot. But first off, I wanted to discuss a little bit the, about this, about the um, about the Fisker pricing and the old heaven, because I watched the whole thing. And at the end, especially, it was, it was, he kind of showed his cards in Rick Fisker. And you guys can comment on this if you want. Uh, I'd like to have your opinion on it. But he, he said at the, at the end, if you can watch the event that's on our YouTube channel. He kept saying that oh, we, we are unveiling these concepts right now because we want to be early. We want to capture the market share early, even though they don't have anything. You know, it's just, it's just a concept and, and like some, some, some specs on paper that are guesses for the most part, I would assume. And uh, they they said we want to capture the market shares early with reservation with the reservation process so that we can show that there's um, demand for it and we can uh, even though there is other options on the market right now especially on the pickup sides and all that uh, we, we can try to by showing that we can capture the market early and do that like I don't I don't know that's really the approach that you want to have as a company especially when you already have a product on the market that you need to make it work. And I think that that's the main issues that I, ha- I had with this whole thing where it, it sort of took a victory lap for the ocean. It's like, like, look, we have the ocean. It's already a success. So trust us from these three concepts. Give us your money for reservation. And then we're going to bring those to market and it's going to be as big of a success as the ocean. And the only metric that he showed for the ocean as a success is the number of reservation that there's on it, which is the same thing is doing for the 
other new vehicles are doing. And Fisker is doing a lot of marketing on it. And we, we, we thank them because they, they're doing a lot of marketing on the next track on it too. They, they spend a lot of money on ads. I see them on, on our AdSense all the time. But anyway, that's not the measure for success for the ocean. The ocean to be a sustainable vehicle program, they need to produce it. Obviously, it's produced by Magna. So that's, that's a big help for them there. But they need to sell it, service it, and do it in a financially sustainable way, which is not happening right now. Uh, they're, they're talking about in Q4 is going to happen, but I have my doubts right now. If I look at the numbers, uh, financial numbers, uh, they, they will need to drastically increase the, the gross margin on it and, and pray that they don't have any issues, uh, uh, any recall, anything like that, which is almost impossible. It always, there's, there's always recalls. So uh, if, if they're hit with like a big recall, could be a very hard time for Fisker. So I wish him the best. But right now, I think that this this event is like didn't help with their credibility because they're just jungling right now with too many vehicle programs without securing the first one here, which they, they, it looks like they could have a, a good vehicle program on their hand with their ocean. Like it could be a successful one, but it's not there yet. So bringing all these other hot potatoes that you have to juggle at the same time now, I don't know if it's a good idea. Um, just to get some market share, that $250 reimbursable, uh, refundable deposit. Like, it doesn't mean much. Like, anyway, all right, let's jump into the comments here. Okay, I love bacon. Nico, I love bacon too. I had some bacon there, Chris. I don't know if all that's relevant to the show, but I do share your love for bacon. Uh, Dave Billivo here, uh, Model Y is made in the US or shipping with Hardware 4. Is it fair? Um, is it fair that only the Americans get the chance to transfer FSD to the new hardware? Uh, I mean, there's, I know there's been a switch over. Uh, so I would assume Dave is probably Canadian there. Because uh, I, I know that's been an issue now that Tesla is shipping uh, Shanghai made model wise to, uh, to Canada. So I'm, I would assume that that's what he's referring to uh, here. Uh, but that's changeover was like re- recent, and I think there's still some version of the Mobile Y that are made in the U.S. available in Canada. So there is that. Uh, but I thought the new Mobile Y in China has also recently been updated to the hardware for um, FSD hardware. So it's something to look for, but we'll definitely confirm that. Uh, Oliver Geheno. It's awesome. How long this podcast has been running? Always a bit sad when a good podcast comes to an end, although nothing lasts forever. Big thanks for the years of nuance. From, okay, I don't think you misunderstood me. The podcast is not coming to an end. Uh, unless you refer maybe to our friends at Inside EVs, like they had to shut down their podcast. But I'm hearing that it's going to come out another way. So I wish them good luck. But uh, our podcast is not ending. Just set is not going to be there this week. I don't know if it's going to be there next week. He's going to be in Japan. So I don't know if it's going to work in terms of timing. Maybe it's going to be another week of just me. I hope I did a good job for you so far. <laughs> I'll try to do my best again next week if Seth is not there. Uh, Sly Joe, 808, Ontario, kind of waving. Hey, what's up, 808? Uh, yeah, Fear Eon. I'm not sure what Carl is saying there. Retrofit forever. Okay, uh, G Lawless, I'm purchasing a Model Y by year hand uh, for my needs. I like the LFP batteries because it's potentially better longevity. That's true. Over order battery chemistries. Do all Model Y come with LFPs? Can I specify batteries? Chemistry when I order. All the standard range ones does. Um, the longer range uh, doesn't, as far as I know. So uh, if you're buying the standard range one, which is the cheapest one, you should get LFP batteries, no problem. Oh. Uh, Carl in San Diego, not only can you specify that you want LFP, Tesla never officially disclosed the chemistry, you only hit. Uh, will be tells you charged 100. percent uh, Yes, uh, Tesla does not disclose any of those. You have to guess, but uh, the the biggest int is that uh, in your instruction, if it does say that you can charge to 100 percent daily, uh, it is an LFP for sure, 99 percent sure, um, because normally Tesla recommends a lower state of charge daily uh, to prolong the longevity of uh, uh, the uh, normal. Uh, Battery does NCA, I think that's not used for the most part. Uh, Joe, Joe Boras here. Hey, what's up, Joe? That was an issue with GM's ICE vehicle for a while, wasn't it? Uh, gas gouges would show uh, full for an artificially long time when show low with 67 miles still in the tank. So I didn't know that. 
that's interesting. Um, all standard range, yeah. Nicholas already answered. Is it legal to not deliver on a stated range? Yeah, that's the, that's the part. So, so the thing with the range, everyone is like, you know, the, the famous saying, like, your, your mileage may vary. Like, that's very true, and it's very true for electric vehicles too. So uh, it, it depends how you use it. It depends on weather conditions, on the temperature. It depends on the road that you're using. On the, it depends on your tires. It depends on your wheels. It depends on so many things. So the EPA range is the range that people use for advertising. And the, so the, the main issues that was exposed is, which was not new. That, 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 we, we did reports on that for years. Tesla, you, you, you have some wiggle room that the EPA gives you uh, to for the actual stated range. So they have the test that they do, they give you efficiency from the test, and then you have a multiplier that you can use. And so you can use a more optimistic multiplier or you can use um, a safer, more conservative multiplier. And like companies like Ford, for example, they are known to use the safest, more conservative multiplier. Uh, and it shows when you use a Ford vehicle, you, you're very confident in the range, even though it has a lower advertised range. Um, now on the Tesla side, and to be fair, Tesla also has like a better efficiency than everybody else for the most part. So it, they, they, they do beat everybody else, but then they go a little bit higher up with the uh, more optimistic uh, multiplier. And that's where people have an issues because I, if you're in perfect condition in California and you're driving 70 miles per hour on the road, that's fine. But then if you go 72 miles per hour, yeah, it's going to go down fast. 75 miles per hour is going to go down fast. And so ju just these things like that, people, like they, they drive 80 miles per hour on the road. It's like, my range is going down so fast. And yeah, that's it works like that. Same things with gas car. You're going to burn gas a lot faster. Uh, Sal Joe said, I saw a video on solar panels built on the roads with LEDs and it can warn you, uh, warn, warn you about, of you, uh, of animal and accident on the road ahead. Uh, I'm sure it can cha charge the vehicle's battery too. Okay. I've never heard of that. Uh, Nico says you can fix range anxiety by running out of battery 100 miles away from home. This will be your life lessons. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if it happens once, uh, it never happens again. I I'll say it 100 times. Precise range prediction kills range anxiety as long as you use navigation. Like if you say, I'm going there, I can go there, but it gives you exactly the mileage it takes to get there, how many miles I I've got, I can get there. Most people, they drive like that. Like most people don't go around on this. So maybe like just a little Sunday drive will drive around. But even that, are you going to do that for more than like 200, 300 miles, which most electric vehicles going to be able to handle? Yeah. Okay. We already discussed that. So here we have the, the Jose. Any thoughts on the claim superconductor LK99? How do you think this will affect the EV space if true? So uh, I I don't remember the LK99 specifically, but I'm gonna assume that this is all the um, room temperature superconductor stuff. I think that's the safest assumption. I'm not super well versed on it. It looks exciting, uh, but obviously, would if if successful, would be a big a big deal. But there've there's been a few like false alarm on that a few times before, so I'm kind of. Uh, I think on the more cautious part for now, but uh, we're keeping an eye on this, and obviously we have a giant impact on the EV space on any any space that use uh, superconductors. Uh, Carl asked, uh, "Is it better practice for Tesla to preview the new replacement Model Three with automotive cars so that consumers know what they're buying?" <laughs> oh boy, Carl, I think you've been around Tesla long enough to know that they don't favor press coverage uh, anymore. They used to. They used to do that. Uh, I mean, for the original Model 3, we were invited to the to the release and everything. That was interesting, and we had a good view, and we were able to inform our readers. Uh, but now it's not the case. They don't trust the press. They don't uh, encourage press coverage uh, anymore. They don't talk to the press. That's the main thing. They, we wanna, the main thing that I miss is to be able to talk to Tesla, express and ask them like correction on things and and if some things comes out and like i want their side of the stories and, and things like that now we don't have that anymore um and yeah we don't have invites to any um test drives or vehicle unveilings either uh so yeah i mean the our coverage is going to be based on whatever uh, we can get out of uh when the actual the vehicle actually comes out and with unless it's a big step change 
uh, Tesla generally just like brings it to production and is like, yeah, we have this thing now and they don't even have a press release about it. They just like update their website and we have to scrub the website for new information. That's that's how we get. And then obviously someone gets their hands on it at one point and we can talk to them and whatnot. So uh, what else we have here? Yeah, NMC. Okay, oh, keep confusing NMC and NCA. Uh, Sly Joe says, uh, I'm testing all kinds of battery types and so for so far, uh, LifePo, uh, and now my favorite is LTO. Why long cells and same draw power? Why long? I don't, I don't know them. Um, okay, a lot of FP talk and a hundred charge uh, limit. Uh, Mike Boyle. My blog dropped in and says, under the FSD amnesty, I uh, traded my 2016 model S P100D for 2023 model S Plaid, got hardware 4, which doesn't support FSD yet. So now I have no FSD at all. <laughs> really, the, even in the new model S doesn't support, well, it doesn't support FSD better, you mean, but you, you, you do have all the other features that come with uh, FSD, I think. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong there, but. I mean that's still a good move, probably. Like I, I think, I think I wonder how good of a deal you got on your 2016 uh, P100D, though. Uh, but um, if you traded in with Tesla, if you sold it on the private market, uh, I wonder what kind of price you got. I'm sure, I'm sure you had to give a out of pocket uh, quite deeply for the the plaid, though. That's not cheap, even though it got a lot cheaper in recent months. All right, what else we have here? Question from Stu. Putting legal issue aside, how should Tesla deal with fake range estimate? So I, I, I did have a little rant on Twitter about that uh, this week when the class actually, uh, class, whoop, class lawsuit came out. By the way, shameless plug, follow me on Twitter or X now, sorry, follow me on X at uh, twitter.com slash Frederick Lambert. Uh, but sorry, is it x.com now? I, don't know, I, think it's, it's, I still think it's Twitter. Anyway, so this is this is going to sound a little bit weird, um, and it's just like it's it's hard to tell that it's not a good thing because it did help vehicle adoption. Like advertising a longer range certainly helped Tesla sell vehicles. It helped advance EV adoption greatly. Obviously, in North America, Tesla is like majority responsible for. At vehicle adoption, so worldwide, like also giant part of EV adoption is thanks to Tesla, directly in North America a lot, and indirectly also uh, around the world. And stating that longer range help, it didn't do it illegally. I say you're putting the legal issues aside, but it didn't do it illegally. So it did it within the rule set. It's just not the most. Uh, it, it's it's just. For the consumer standpoint, is it's not the best action for sure. But if the mission is to accelerate EV adoption, is it a mission move? Is it overall good for humanity? Uh, so, yeah, I think I, I think there's an argument to be made. But obviously, this the this, the mission they don't the regulators and the and the and the legislators and law side of things they don't care about that. So, it doesn't change anything. So yes, to change a question later on, and he said, "Why do you think it's okay for Tesla to break the law for the mission?" So again, I don't think they broke the law, so that's that's a difference. I I think the burden is more on the consumer, like the 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 wrong is done to the consumer more than anything. Um, so yeah, and I was one of those custom, customers, but personally, I think the mission is more important. But I completely understand anyone that would be frustrated about that. And I encourage them to join the lawsuit and the, the class action and you know, get get yourself paid if, uh, if you think you're, you're, you should. Uh, I, won't, I, won't, uh, I won't shame anyone for doing that. But personally, if I weighed both sides of things, I was thinking, hmm, might have been a net positive overall. And I think Tesla is doing a lot of that too. I think Tesla, like with the FSD today, they're doing a lot of like, uh, ask for forgiveness instead of a permission, though I don't see them asking for forgiveness a lot these days. Like there was the whole FSD transfer thing that they called it amnesty, so it kind of is. But at the same time, I thought it was just a demand lever that they pull and not not a true uh, 
a true apology, let's say. Let's put it like that. Uh, so Carl says about the Ronin design looks nice. No need for the massive range. Fisker wants to build most sustainable EV, so that requires tempering insane range inspiration. Yeah, there was a, a lot of uh, sustainable buzzword that Fisker used, and like I, I like the the overall sentiment behind it, but a lot of it sounded like virtue signaling to me. Like you just uh, like make some good cars that have low impact on the environment, and we'll be happy. You don't need to to use all the buzzwords that uh, people use in those presentations. It was kind of getting tedious a little bit, but, but yeah, I agree that the longer range, like they, they talk, we want to make the most sustainable EVs ever, but then they make a supercar with 600 miles of range, which is like you know, overuse of batteries for sure. A pickup trucks that most people are going to use as a, just a passenger vehicle. So it's not, and then this giant like off-road things with super inefficient tires. So uh, kind of uh, going the other way that uh, like do do as I say not what as I do. Um, what else do we got here? We have a lot of comments coming in, so, so bear with me here. Pierre, Peter, Peter Arpes says you, you're right. Fred pairs of terrible land machine is not a guaranteed success. The Alaska looks way better than Cybertruck. Uh, not the front end. <laughs> like I know, Cybertruck is like anyway. It's it's not quite a taste. It's not for everyone. But uh, I wasn't I wasn't impressed by the uh, front end of the Alaska. The Ocean, I think, is a solid design though, and the pair o- overall, especially for that price range, is also good looking. Uh, Nicholas uh, here asks, how do you think Tesla will handle a release of model upgrade? Battery happened before, should be done better than Model S next last time, took ages to get up and running. I think they learned a lot from the Model S and X update. Hopefully they did. Uh, It it seems like they did, like they acknowledged that it was mishandled. So um, yeah, I'm hoping for Model 3, it's going to be way smoother. It looks like Model 3 was also planned ahead a lot. Like we've been hearing about this plan seeing the prototypes around, uh, gathering tidbits of information over time since uh, late last year. So this this update was a long time coming. Obviously, I think the main thing was Tesla wanted to be up and running with the Model Y in Berlin and Texas to compensate for, for, for the lower volume of Model 3 that is going to come with this update. They're going to be able to uh, um, push the Model Y more, which is already the, the best-selling model for Tesla that has passed the Model Y for a little bit now, uh, Model 3 for a little bit. So again, I got a lot of NCA versus NMV and, and uh, LFP. Like list as he saw his first uh, Ionic Six today. You and a bunch of people, Electric, has been have been spotting them lately, and then they is one of the um, cars that I, makes the biggest impression in person. It seems like to me, uh, from what I'm hearing from people, I haven't I haven't seen it in person yet. As the car taking off uh, at all in the U.S., no tax credit. Yeah, that's the problem. Uh, seems like so much work for a car that I think will sell in small numbers. I mean, I think in Europe it's going to be very popular. Um, in the U.S., I mean, if the Hyundai uh, started producing it in the U.S. or in, in Canada or Mexico, whatever, they're gonna uh, they, they, they're gonna be able to access incentives. And uh, I, I hate to say that when I say that, people always think, okay, the only way to sell EVs with incentive now. No, but when they are incentive, it is a lot easier if because people feel like they are leaving money on the table. That's what people don't want to be like. They want like, all right, I have this EV there, it's available. I have this EV there, it's available. It's about the same price, but this one gets incentive, this one doesn't. So I'm not going to leave that money on the table. So yeah, they do that. Uh, Neti here asks, will Project Highland finally give Tesamol 3 a hitch option and our vehicle to grid? Uh, Ish option, I don't know if it's still the case, but for a long time, Model 3 will get an itch option in the, in Europe, but not in uh, North America, which is a real bummer because there is a small towing capacity that can be super useful. Or even if it's not towing, but you can actually like put like a bike rack or something. It's just a ton of value in it. Like it's just they should do it. I don't I don't know why they do not, or I don't know if it's like to, it was to sell the Model Y. I'm not, I'm not so sure. Um, uh, there's no indication that Island will change that in North America. It would be nice, but there's no word on that. As for vehicle to grid, that's a possibility uh, just because uh, the way that Tesla framed their integration of vehicle to grid is like Cybertruck forward. 
So now that Cybertruck is in production, I don't know. Uh, I don't assume that Tesla plans to do any significant update to the Model 3 following the island. So maybe they're going to introduce that right away. But at the same time, those are very like small changes to the inverter that they have to do in uh, the protocol. So it's not maybe it can be retrofitted to, uh, I don't know. Glenn Sanford says, as a self-confessed and fine boy and early adapter, how did I end up? How did I end up the criminal FSD amnesty? What? I'm not sure what your point is there, Glenn. Uh, yeah, not sure. Daniel DeYoung says, the fourth lining barely fits at the V3 supercharger. Yeah, that's an issue. For the adapter, can they add a couple extra feet of cable on it to make it work? Or would they uh, have to add the cable to the charger itself? Yeah, I mean, that's uh, something that the supercharger V4 fixes with the, the longer cable. So that's not a problem at that level. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be a problem with the V3 supercharger. So the Magic Dog doesn't add a much length, maybe like a few inches max. Um, so yeah, I assume you're talking to the to the chargers that Tesla plans to sell to Ford buyers, EV owners next year. Yeah, we don't know about those, but I would be surprised if it's a cable one. So those exist, like the like the the a bit like the. Uh, Chademo one that Tesla used to sell or still does. No, I think used to. So that had its own length. But seeing the magic duck, it looks like Tesla might stick to, to just that format, which is very compact. All right, I'm going to take a few more questions before we go. Uh, Nate asks, uh, can you guys talk about pros and cons of Tesla Fire recurrent others? Any article on that topic uh, comparing the service? I'm not a user of any Tesla companion app personally. I used to for a while. And then I, I, after, after a while, I realized I wasn't getting that much personally off of it. Completely depends on the user. Um, we we do have a few articles on it. If you if you search electric for, for, for I don't know if Tesla Fire we ever covered, but recurrent we covered a bunch. Uh, you can take a look. Uh, I wasn't the one that personally wrote those. I wasn't the one that that, that uh, tried to review them. But uh, yeah, it's uh, there's definitely value. Some of them work very well too, but personally, I just I wasn't using them enough. Stu said that Tom um, Malongny, I always mess up your name, Tom, I'm sorry, is uh, taking the Rotors report seriously instead of just saying that Tesla didn't do anything wrong. The report was more than just AP immersion. Yeah, it, it was more like we mentioned, but the, like, the, the biggest thing was like the, the actual potential fraud of, of messing with the, 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 the first and second half of the state of charge and the, giving different, like purposely optimistic uh, range production versus more, optimi- more realistic ones. Uh, if that's true, that would be a real problem. But the, the runner's report itself was kind of weird about this part. It was the most damning one, I think, um, in terms of they said that it, that was that only happened when Tesla was selling the Roadster and the Model S, which that by itself doesn't make sense because Tesla stopped selling the Roadster in 2012, started selling the Model S. So they never really overlapped that much. So I assume that they meant once the lineup only consisted of Roadster and Model S, which would mean between 2012 and 2015, which was the Model S only uh, before the Model X came. So I think that's what they meant. And they said that we couldn't confirm after that if it was still in play. And we did talk about this last week, but as early Model S owners like myself and Seth, we did realize that that was happening or something something weird that that was happening. Less so these days with our Model 3s and Model Ys. So, it's not sure if it's still happening. So I don't know if there's very that much value there in terms of like the seriousness of the report. But the, the, all the other things like the, the service centers, like uh, trying to cancel service appointment over range, that's that's kind of what you need to do because there's nothing to do about the range. Like the range, it, it is what it is. So there's, no, there's nothing that service can do. So of course, the service is going to try to cancel your appointment. Uh, so that, that that's not a weird thing to me. I, mean, I know it's going to be frustrating and I, I accept that, but it's not... They're not service. That's a service. Not going to be able to do anything about it. Stefan says um, to buy FSD before it out is a waste of money. No one knows. Sorry, there's a lot of a lot of issues with his comment here. Uh, Tesla lie about FSD all the time. Hardware for is supposed to run full FSD according to the announcement for Mol X. Yeah, I mean we we discussed that a bunch of time. 
Oliver add, is Tesla being accused of for advertising the EP range? You're in Europe, you won't get that uh, WLTP range on the motorway. Yeah, the WLTP is another thing too. But these standardized estimates are a good method for comparing different models. No, yeah. So that's the difference with the APA that people have a problem with is like it's not if they allow a different multiplier for different brands, it's it's not as good of a comparison between the two. Uh, if everybody needs to use the same thing and we know exactly what's the protocol, then yeah, it's a good comparison Apple to Apple. But now there's they leave some wriggle room and Tesla takes full advantage of that. Um, all right. Uh, last question. And then I'm going to go Nicholas uh, question. How common it is among your friends and neighbors to have EV solar home battery plus hourly uh, electricity prices, the full package do you have in Sweden moving fast? I've got it all. Well, I'm glad for you, Nicholas, and I'm glad that Sweden is moving fast on it. Uh, I mean, here uh, in, in Quebec, it's it's not in terms of solar, just because uh, there's not a ton of value for people here in solar, uh, financially speaking, just because our, our, all of our electricity comes from hydroelectricity, which is a renewable source and a uh, very cheap source of electricity. So uh, solar is a lot less competitive here than it is in, in other places where electricity is, is, is more expensive. There's still some people that do it. Uh, but you don't, if you walk around in a, like even in, in a rich neighborhood, you won't see that many solar on the roof or at all, really. Uh, they're very far and few in between. In the U.S., though, it's very different. And again, it's state by state, region by region. The higher the electricity rates are, the more uh, financially viable solar is going to be. So a lot of places, it makes a ton of sense. And, and batteries, of course. Uh, I do have batteries here, though. I have EVs and batteries, but the solar makes no sense. I think I'm going to add some capacity at some point. Um, I need to redo my roof anyway, but I won't, I won't do a solar roof tiles, though. I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, I don't have Jeff Bezos money. That's what you need for a Tesla solar roof. But um, uh, I'm going to do just regular panels at some point just to get uh, a full backup system like with my battery and solar like if something happens at least i still have some some power for a long long period of times now it's just my batteries are good for when power i lose power for a short period of time or up to a day really i would be fine but um if it's uh, something happens it's like for weeks at a time then uh you're screwed but if you can trickle charge with uh solar then you're fine so yeah it's uh uh it, it I'm definitely jealous of your setup if you have an EV, solar, and batteries. It's uh, it's very cool. Um, all right. That's it for everyone for us this week for the Electric Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this show. I hope I did a, a good job even though uh, I was alone this week. Um, it's probably the same thing next week. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe Seth is going to be back. It's going to be a surprise. So if you do enjoy the show, please give us a thumbs up, a like, a subscribe. Uh, it takes a second to do. Uh, it's free and it helps the show more than you think. If you're listening on your podcast app, if you can just uh, go to the Apple charts and give us a five-star rating, that helps a ton too. And it takes a second to do. And I appreciate it every single time. Thanks a lot, everyone. I hope you have a good weekend. Stay safe out there. Bye-bye.